0: Welcome to Inspired by Purpose. Each week, we roll out episodes of successful purpose-inspired entrepreneurs to inspire and empower you. My name is Dr. Ozzy Jankovic, and I believe that purpose is what inspires us to make our greatest impact. I'm so grateful that you're here. Now let's get started. Hey, hey everyone, we are back. It has been a while and before I introduce my guest, I just want to thank you for being here. It means so much to me that you're a part of this community. I've been on vacation from the podcast on a hiatus. I was in the States. I moved homes actually from a little kibbutz over to the city of Modin, Israel, and there's been lots happening, but I'm back and I'm so excited to start sharing new episodes with you. These upcoming episodes focus on living inspired by purpose, both in life and in business. To hear more on the topic, keep listening, and also be sure to visit my website, drazi.co, that's D-R-A-Z-I dot C-O, and sign up for our community newsletter. In the past several months, I've been focused on two things, business and marketing and mental health. Along with my new business partner, Rachel Lubchansky, who I love so much and I have so much respect for, she's an incredible businesswoman. We have together co-founded Jewish Women in Business, focused on creating community and business growth for everyone involved. We've had events in person here in Israel as well as online. And in the coming weeks, we're gonna announce more of these as well as groups that are in formation and lots of exciting new initiatives at JWIB. In terms of business and marketing, I launched a new video company last spring. I'm sure you've heard. Custom-created Clips was launched in early spring. We have been churning out video clips for social media and course creation for clients like authors, nutritionists, entrepreneurs, businesses and organizations. The very exciting news is that Custom Clips has merged with Kesher Video. Kesher is a full-service video production company that my husband and I co-founded in 2004. My husband, who is a talented filmmaker, his name is Daniel, he founded the company way back when and has been primarily in charge of it, doing the production, doing the directing. I came in about a year and a half ago to do the marketing and it has just evolved from there. So we launched Custom Clips to see if it would stick. It was our lean startup and we wanted to make sure that we had a high quality product to provide our clients with. The idea was really born because I've met so many entrepreneurs like myself when I started out who aren't ready to make videos. They don't know what to say. They need the coaching. They want help to feel comfortable on camera, and they want to do it at the right price. So I started interviewing some of these clients on Zoom and also a Zoom-like platform with higher quality Um, and creating clips for them for social and then it just evolved. I had people wanting to make those in person and Fortunately, I had access to an incredible team, so we started churning out those for social. We're making some really cool reels. We're getting great results. And so we have decided to merge with Kesher. Our new company is really an arm of Kesher. It's called Custom Clips by Kesher, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes. We're offering clients the highest video production quality available and clips at an incredible value and It is just, it's so wonderful to be doing this. In addition, I've teamed up with my partner, Rachel, to be offering business and marketing strategy and implementation, a a range of services, and uh, again, we're seeing incredible results, and this is just the beginning. So lots happening, and if you wanna get in on any of it, the best place to do so is on my website, drozzy.co, or just send me an email directly. I answer all my emails. I'm ozzy at drozzy.co. I'm so grateful that you're here, and with nothing further, let's dive into this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Inspired by Purpose. I'm so excited about our guest today. Our guest is Rabbi Shlomo Buxbaum. He's a Jewish educator, an author, a podcaster, a life coach, a husband, a dad, and a friend. It's his passion to help people from all walks of life build a life that is exploding with purpose, joy, vitality, inner peace, vibrant relationships, and true freedom. He is the author of two books now, The Four Elements of Inner Freedom and The Four Elements of an Empowered Life. I have been blessed to read through these books over the past few months, and I have found them to be inspiring, uplifting, and full of enlightenment. So it's a pleasure to have you here with us today and I'm so excited to get into it. Welcome. Thank
1: you, Dr. Ozzy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have this conversation. It's been a long time coming, so happy we're doing it.
0: Absolutely. So I'd love to get started with your story and how you became inspired to start writing and teaching about the four elements and doing the work that it is that you're doing?
1: So, there's a lot there. I'll, the place where my mind is going now is how I got into just this whole space of you know, mixing together like self help, personal development, and Kabbalah and deep Torah ideas, which really is what the book is. And, and that's always been what I've been fascinated by. I think in my last years, I was living in Israel. And I was a rabbinical student. And at that time, I had a very very regular, typical yeshiva guy upbringing. I grew up religious, orthodox, going to yeshivas, studying Torah, studying Talmud, studying Chumash, the Bible. And those sacred texts, not necessarily from a mystical or a Kabbalistic place, um, but towards the... The latter part of my yeshiva career, as I was entering into looking ahead and yearning for uh, to, to become a leader and to look looking at leadership positions, so I entered into this new vista, this new perspective of how to see things, how to see Torah, how to see religion, how to see spirituality, and got into Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, Chasidut, some of the deeper texts. At the same time, just to try to add a little bit of muscle to my resume, I also started taking various courses in life coaching, addictions counseling, um, again, all living in Israel and really trying to enter into the field of being a rabbi, to enter into you know a very, very robust way of looking at, at the world and trying to understand people. So I became fascinated. And the more that I learned Mysticism, and the more that I learned about human psychology, the more that I saw a fascinating overlap between the two. And, and then I think the final step of this whole thing was: okay, well, I don't want this to be separate. Now, how do I plug this back in to just the, the Judaism that's always been, the stuff that I've always been learning, the texts of the Torah that are not just supposed to be history? But where do I see the mysticism here? Where do I see the psychology here? And that became my passion and that led to several class series and also several attempts to write about it and i think many writers might have this experience where oh, you try one thing you try something else and you know, i had a bunch of chapter ones of books that never really went anywhere and I'll then raise it was my hand there exactly right <laughs> that's yeah that's that is the journey and then i think it was really sometimes you just need a a structure, a paradigm that will really carry and bring everything together. And I think up until I really discovered the four, I knew about the concept of the four elements, but for some reason I never really fully, I never entertained that that might be the structure that will bring everything together that I'm trying to teach. All of the classes I didn't want to put out a book that was just fragmented ideas. I wanted to put out a book that flowed. I wanted to deal with a concept that would, that would give a person the sense that they're entering into a system. And delving into the four elements opened up this path of being both this very, very rich uh, psychology paradigm, a paradigm to understand the human being as a whole, but also to capture many of the Kabbalistic ideas uh, that, that were inspiring me.
0: Mm, so beautiful. There's so much depth in your book. And I want to start off with a quote from the beginning of the four elements of an empowered life. You write that the Vilna Ghosn in his commentary on Proverbs 4.13 says, the purpose of life is to correct our character traits. Can you share with us a little bit about what that means, and and how do we how can we think about that in terms of our lives? Like, how can we think about our lives and their purpose to correct ourselves and feel good about ourselves at the same time?
1: Sure. So, it's definitely that idea that really forms the foundation of the book. And one of the things that I share in the first chapter of the first book, the four elements of an empowered life, is that. We live in these two different worlds. We live in the, the external world, and that is the world of the people around us, and our jobs, and our talents, and the things that we're good at, and all the things that we fill up our days with. And that's the external world. That's the world that surrounds us, the world that we find ourselves in. But then we have this inner world and the inner world is the thoughts that we think the emotions that we feel the fears that we have the pleasure points the pain points and that's all going on in our inner world and uh, we're trying to find this equilibrium between these two worlds to operate in this outer world and to do our thing and to to accomplish and to reach whatever goals we define as success for us so if it's if it's in our job if it's spiritual whatever it is and we're trying to reach these goalposts, but really we're throughout this whole thing. We're developing this, this inner world. And the question is, what is the ultimate goal, right? What is the primary and what is the secondary? And I think that what the Vilna I think what he's teaching is that actually the whole purpose of the external external world is to really get to that internal world. I don't develop my character so that I'll show up better at work. I go into work so I can better develop my character. Because ultimately, at the end, when I'm returning my soul back into the in, into the next world, into the eternal world, I'm not taking my job with me, but I'm taking my soul with me. So the question is, all of the accomplishments that I had... How did it transform me as a person? So when I return that soul, I could say, yes, my nine to five, my family, my struggles, all of that, this is what it did for me. And now this is the soul that I can return to my creator.
0: Wow. So I had such an epiphany listening to you talk about this this idea. You said, I don't refine my character traits to go to work, but I go to work and that refines my character traits. And I had this thought about how if we look at life as this constant refinement process, life is all for us. Everything's for us.
1: Beautiful. Exactly. Everything, everything, even the bad days. Even the things that may have tripped us up. And from an external place, it might be failure. Or an external place, it doesn't look good on paper, but that paper is also the external world. And Mm -hmm. Sometimes those things that may have done more for us, like we explore in, in the second book, which speaks about the Exodus story, and that is that for the Jewish people to be redeemed from Egypt, they had to actually be in a very low place. And from from an outside person looking in, there was really no reason to redeem the Jewish people. They were in a terrible, terrible place, spiritually, everything. But yet that was the exact place that they needed to be to build upon. They had set the foundation for the work that would come afterwards. So a good day might be a good day from the external perspective, but internally, a day that maybe went completely wrong might have actually provided for us the spiritual refinement that we might need, the character development that we might need, even though we don't see it at the end of the day, but something happened that day, and that actually could have been the most successful day of the week, even though we don't necessarily feel it.
0: I love that so much. It's so empowering. And I'm curious to hear from you. Are there any rituals you do on a daily basis to implement this? Is there a certain way that you you think about your day or that you talk to yourself or or like a journaling exercise? Like, how do you live this?
1: So I, I don't journal even though I should. I do some journaling periodically over the course of the year. But I do, throughout the day, I do find time to Reflect on everything that's happening, and at least try to um, to create, to carve a a high level story, a picture as to everything that's going on. Um, how, how what's happening now? What I'm going through now? How does this play into the story of my life? If I was the if I was a character, if I was the hero of this novel that I was writing. You no know, what would i say about this how would i describe the situation how do i want to see this lead into Ooh. something else and i think that for if me i'll the, do I
0: have to pause on that for a second yeah. you said if i were the hero of this story yeah how would i see this what would right. this be about i that's so powerful just that thought alone yeah. about being the hero is so huge yeah
1: so I, I try, again, I it, I try in the morning. I find that in the morning, immediately after I wake up, I'm immediately faced in a battle between like, all my anxieties and fears for the day and everything that went wrong like for the last 10 years of my life. <laughs> Suddenly hits me that moment that I wake up. So it's the initial battle of the day. So usually I try to spend the first few minutes of my day just trying to just wrap my head around where I am in the story what is my overall emotional temperature and how do I get myself on track? I'll try at some point during the day to take a walk and just check in with myself to see how things are going. And then as I'm praying three times a day, usually uh, I wish that I had incredible incredible, uh, kavana, the incredible concentration that I can just lock in on the prayers the whole time. But the reality is that Uh, our minds do tend to wander. And at least what I try to do is give myself permission that it should wander to a productive place. (laughs) And I should use those times as some time of reflection if I don't intentionally do it by just pausing. And then before I go to sleep, just as I'm preparing for bed and I'm taking a shower or whatever it is, it's just about quickly going through the day and then deciding what I want to let go of, what I want to hold on to, what needs to be reframed. So it's these periodic check-ins throughout the day. to get myself back on track and pivot if I need to.
0: Getting in touch with that hero story.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I love that. It's so beautiful. And God bless Thank Jewish you. men. I just have to say <laughs> that. So not everyone listening to this podcast is Jewish or observant, but in the observant Jewish world, it is actually a commandment for men to pray three times a day. And women do have, and Rabbi could tell us a little more about this, but it's not incumbent on women in the same way. And I just have to give a shout out to everyone who goes out to pray and shows up and it's a big deal. So I had to put that out there and, uh, and yeah, and we can definitely get more, more into this spirituality. There's so much in this book to talk about. And the next piece is actually about something called Dvekut or Dvekus, which is Jewish enlightenment. And you spoke about this in your book. You wrote on page 17 of four elements of inner freedom in our own lives. We are on a journey of refinement. We are like that precious piece of gold with a soul that radiates with beauty, but it isn't yet in its purest form. It has all sorts of impurities that attach to it for reasons beyond our understanding. Life will provide the necessary heat to bring all of that up to the surface and give us an opportunity to refine it. And when we do we become even greater had we never had to struggle with it in the first place. I think this reminds me of the conversation we had on your podcast, which I will totally link to in the show notes. But I would love to hear more about this journey of refinement. And how do we keep that in mind? Like, what does that look like?
1: Sure. The, the, the quote that you're quoting is really a description it's the introduction to the story of the Jewish people. Our, the story of the Jewish people, which is really so much of our Jewish life, is based on the story. We have the story of the Jewish people being slaves in Egypt and this redemption from Egypt. And this story really, it forms our Jewish life. It's not just you know, the Passover Seder. For those in the audience that are familiar, you know everyone knows the Passover Seder is a time when the Jewish people, we tell our story. And our story is a story of liberation from Egypt. But the truth is, for those who know and understand Jewish life, it's constantly there. We're always talking about the story story of the Jewish people in Egypt and leaving Egypt. And the reason why this forms the basis in fact, our introduction to God, God speaks to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, and God says, I am God who took you out of Egypt. Like that's how God wants to be associated to the Jewish mind, took you out of Egypt. And the lesson that the Torah is teaching is that that is all of our stories. All of our stories are the life that we are put into is the soul, right? The Jewish people in that story is a metaphor for the soul. And Egypt is a metaphor for the life that we are put in, which is a life of struggle. The Hebrew word for Egypt, the Torah uses the word Mitzrayim, which is the same as the Hebrew word Mitzarim, constraints. So we are a soul. We're a spiritual being. We're a spark of God that's put down into this world, Mitzrayim, into Mitzarim, into a place of constraint. And uh, this place of constraints for the first many decades of our life, it takes its toll. It pounds us, but it also gives us space. It's also the womb by which we develop in the fetus develops in this very contained space. And then when we're ready to be independent, the the labor process is one of entering into the world and now taking, taking your show on the road. So as life goes on, slowly, we're now taking all, and, and we might have had a beautiful childhood, we might have had a painful childhood, either way, we've picked up, we've picked up our mission along the way, at least our, our, our first, first couple of steps as to how we need to begin this journey. And then in our young adulthood, that's really this exodus, that's when we leave Egypt, and that's when we have to take all of the stuff from our childhood, the good and the bad and the ugly, and now we want to say, okay, what is this life that I want to put together? So this whole idea that you know, we introduced, this idea of polishing a diamond. So the commentaries who look at the Bible, they look at the Torah, they look at scriptures and they say, wouldn't it have been so beautiful, wouldn't it have been so glorious if the Jewish people, we were this shining, radiant, we were all spiritual, we were all sitting in the most beautiful place. Maybe we would have been in Israel and maybe we would have been mystics and God would have came to this beautiful, good-looking, gorgeous mystic nation and said, I want you to be my people, but that's not the story. The story is God comes to a slave nation, and we're dirty, and we're not, and we're not physically beautiful, and we're not, spiritu- not spiritually beautiful by any means. And God says, you are the ones that I want. And that is, I wow. think, a message for all of us. We're, when we feel not beautiful, not beautiful outside, not beautiful inside, realize that this is our moment. This is the moment when we are being invited to step into our mission.
0: Wow, I've never thought about it that way. That is so powerful to hear you say that that God chose this most vulnerable moment and this most humbled people to convene with. It's it's just fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And speaking of of that, like speaking of, of feeling vulnerable and experiencing like big emotions, you speak a lot about challenges and about emotions in your book. You wrote something about moods, in fact, and I want to share, I want to share that here. You speak about our emotional state, how at any given moment, it has a shockingly tremendous effect on our decision-making in almost every area of life. When we're feeling positive emotions, our decisions are more positive and generous, and we're even more open to taking risks. When we're feeling negative emotions, our decisions will be more constricted, selfish, and conservative. This calls into question our ability to ever make real, rational decisions. So this is a really, really deep topic, and I think it calls into question like the very existence of our being. Who are we? Who am I to even be making decisions? Is it me? Like, is it my soul? Is it my emotions? Is it God? Am I part of God? There's a lot happening here. I would love to hear your take on this and and how we can really conceptualize who we are in light of our moods and our emotions.
1: Sure. So I think just to give credit where credit is due, that the concept of how pointing out how much our emotions play a role in our decision making comes from permission to feel that book by um, i don't remember the uh, dr mark i don't remember his name um, you know we can find you know perhaps but uh, as far as your question is concerned i think that obviously as we go through life our job is to take a certain stand we need to make a certain decision when you have a decision to make people want to feel 100% certain 100% i am 100% sure like any real decision that you make in your life is probably not going to be 100% you need to be 51% sure because if you're 51 if it's 51% versus 49% then now right when you're at a crossroads you can't just be stuck and you need to make a certain decision and go down that path and entertain the fact that, you know what? I might be wrong. There might have been another decision to make, but I need to go through life. I have the power. I'm supposed to develop my perspectives, my beliefs, my ideals. And in the back of my head, know that this might not be the only answer. This might be the wrong answer. And that's okay. But I need to make a decision. So therefore, you know, you, yes, on the one hand, I make a decision. I go down this path. And I wholly, fully accept the fact that this is the path that I've chosen to go on. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, that's not—that's that's irrelevant uh, until I come to the next crossroads. And then it becomes relevant again to, to revisit that. So with our beliefs, it's important to realize that I need to believe something. I can't just be agnostic about everything my whole life. So I make a decision how I'm going to live my life today, tomorrow, for the next few weeks. But I'm always open. I'm always searching. When I'm making a decision as well, once I'm locked into a decision, so it doesn't help me to think about what could have been, what would have been. But that doesn't necessarily mean that when it comes the next time there's a crossroads or there's an opportunity to reevaluate, I shouldn't do that at that point when I'm on safe ground and when it's healthy to do so. So I think that, yes, we have to live with that balance of understanding, right? That we can never be too sure of ourselves. <clears throat> we can never be too sure of our opinions, but we also can't always think, oh, maybe I only made that decision you know, because of that, Because then we'll just be all over the place. And that's not a healthy way to live life either.
0: Yeah. I, I really hear that. I think it can be so easy to get stuck in this like analysis paralysis, whether it's about business or personal life, you know, thinking about like, what should I do and just not doing anything because this fear of change or this fear of making mistakes. So I really I really hear a lot of what you're saying. And I'm also reminded of, of what you shared about this exodus process, this leaving Egypt and how you said everyone is in this Egypt in life. And you mentioned that you know, as a teenager starts to individuate, they become more free. But I'm curious to hear from you, like in this physical human being existence that we're in, is there a point at which we can become free or is our entire life a quest for that like final freedom?
1: It's such an interesting question. I find that just going back to our scriptures, because that's really where I try to build everything out of that um, the Bible is such a cliffhanger because the hero of the story and for most of the story is Moses. And the destination is Israel. And Moses dies at the end of the story, and the Jewish people don't go into Israel. I mean, they do eventually, but that's after the book is done, right? That's in the book of Joshua, which is after the scriptures are closed. And there's something fascinating about that. I always think to myself, like, why is it like, why doesn't the Torah just, if the whole purpose was going into Israel, so then that should be the final chapter. It should be a happy ending. But yet the Torah decides to leave us off in the desert because this life is definitely one of turmoil. And we go through our challenges. And, you know, when we think we're at the top of the mountain, then suddenly we're like, oh, I didn't even realize there's actually another peak to climb. So, so I, I think that throughout wow. our life, we're always closing books and opening new ones. We're ending chapters and starting new ones. And the minute that we think we're at the top, we suddenly realize one second. There's even more to climb.
0: Wow. I never actually thought about that either. The fact that the Bible, the five books end, and it's not necessarily like the happy ending. It's not the final redemption. It's uh wow. That's fascinating. That is really fascinating. When you think about the desert, because I know that you speak about the desert and this idea of wandering through the desert, can you share a little bit with us about that biblical story and how does that mirror the lives that we're living?
1: Sure. It, it, the, it's interesting that with the Torah says that, um, that in the desert, the Jewish people went through 42 different stops, 42 different. Stops along the way, and that number forty-two. It's is somewhat of a kabbalistic number. We know that there's many ideas behind forty-two, and without getting, get, getting too into it. But I'm
0: forty-two, in, so I'm all in. Oh, there you
1: go, there you go. So there's many ideas behind uh, behind the number forty-two in in the, the chapter in the Torah that talks about loving God. So there's forty-two mm. words, you know, in that chapter to show that it's so this forty-two. The 42 stops along the way to really, to really fall in love with God, um, or, or the letters 42, the Hebrew letters that would that that would represent the number 42 are the letters Mem and Beis, which can also be an acronym for Maasebereshit, the, the creation of the world. It's 42 stops of recreating ourselves, and the Kabbalists see that journey of the Jewish 42
0: people. Stops. I'm taking this all in. 42 stops in the desert of recreating ourselves.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So as we go through.
0: So essentially this journey through the desert, if I'm understanding, was about this people coming out of slavery and literally making stops like as though they're going down the yellow brick road. Like to this redemption, like each stop along the way was how they were being reborn. Is that right?
1: Yes. Exactly. And obviously the symbolism of the desert. That symbolism, the metaphor over there is obvious as being a desert, which is a place that needs us to. It's a place that's away from civilization. It's a place that really allows the Jewish people to prepare themselves for what life is going to be like when they get into Israel and when they start needing to build cities. And they have this kind of mystical existence that happens during this time to allow them to to develop. But again, the Kabbalists see it as a metaphor, again, for our lives. Now, again, I don't think that we can go through our life and say, okay, this was stop number one. This was stop number two. It's not always clear cut. But it does challenge us to live with an awareness as like, right now, I have a mission. I don't know. I might not even know 100% what it is, although I certainly... I I can point to certain things in my life and say, okay, I think that it's something like this now. And, um, and this is one stop on the journey. And hopefully I'll do well on this one. And, you know, this whole idea, like, I don't know that we can really define our life mission as a whole. Uh, We don't know. I'm 40 years old. And I can look back and reflect upon 40 years and say, looking back, I understand now that my mission was A, B, C, D, and you know, maybe I can get up to you know, even six or seven different ones. But I hope you know, God should give me a, another couple of years, you know, another many years. I hope that I'm only in Until the first you're third. Of, as exactly, you like to say. exactly. I hope I'm only in the first third of my life. So there's a whole part yeah. of my mission that I don't even know yet but because that's it that's the idea of there being these 42 different stops and to ask yourself not what's my life mission but what's my mission today at this stop in my life at this stop in the desert
0: I love that so much this idea of the fact that we're constantly growing we're constantly being we're constantly evolving and if we allow ourselves to see that big journey we can understand that there's always room to redefine ourselves and to grow and there's always this opportunity for change. And to me, that's the epitome of freedom, which is what you speak so much about. So why don't we get into freedom a little bit? How did you become inspired to write about freedom, Rabbi Shlomo?
1: So again, once again, it goes back to this idea, I knew just as far as the evolution of the books are concerned. So my first book focused heavily on understanding the patriarchs and the matriarchs in the book of Genesis. Um, and their evolution and how their struggles are a metaphor for our struggles. So who? What is the Abraham and Sarah inside of me? What is the Isaac and Rebecca inside of me? You know who's we could just who's talk my about that?
0: Probably for the rest <laughs> of the podcast. I mean, that right. sounds fascinating.
1: So, that was the theme of the first book, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life, and seeing this idea of seeing them as a reflection of our inner world. Once that, once I, I completed that, so now, um, you no, know, it's, it's interesting. Like, after you finish writing the first book, you're just like, Do I have another one inside? You know, I'm like, Back and forth, like, I want to do this again. And then just in some of the texts that I was learning and some of the ideas, like, I just a window opened. And I'm like, you know what? I really want to write about the Exodus. The first book was based on the four elements. And I saw that that idea once again in the second book, in the book of the Exodus, in the idea of the four terms of redemption. The Jewish people have a tradition to drink four cups of wine at the Passover Seder. And I'm like, there's a lot here. And I feel like everything that I that i I didn't finish saying in the first book i want to even go deeper i want to go deeper in that second book and the idea of freedom was based upon the exodus and this idea that that the jewish people's journey out of egypt to mount sinai was a journey of freedom in the deepest possible way and that's inner freedom freedom of our inner world
0: okay i love all of that and i love the way that you speak about these biblical stories as metaphors so just to bring it down to into the the day to day, right? So, you're a father and you're a husband, and you're out in the world working and doing all the different things that you're doing. And you, I'm sure you interact with a lot of people. You have students. What do you see as like the role of freedom? Like, how does life change? What is our capacity to understand freedom and our capacity to live freely? And how can that change our lives? So, if, if you're open to like sharing about your own life or you know, maybe the lives of your students or those you help, I would love to hear like, how do we put two feet on the ground with all of this?
1: Yes. Okay. So two feet on the ground. So I think that number one, the goal of the book is for us to understand the, the tendencies and the personality traits that exist inside of us that are going to be both barriers but also tools they're going to be barriers to our success if we're not ready for it if you go into the the into the boxing rink and you haven't prepared and you don't know your opponent if you're about to play a football game and you haven't planned and there's no strategy and you don't know what they're going to throw at you so then you are not free to do what you want to do however if you know every single move and not only that you realize I, i'm i i do not know why this is coming to mind but i think there's something that in the boxing rink, I think the harder that uh, they, that your opponent throws a punch at you, the more powerful your response can be. Or just you know, in baseball, a like you know, fastball could be the one that's going to strike you out, or it's, good, it's it could turn into a yes. home run.
0: Oh, that's the perfect example. That's really interesting.
1: So you know, for us, everything that's inside of us, most people are tripped up because of really a. a the, a wrong perspective number one uh, a definition of success is something that happens outside of you versus something that happens inside of you second of all a lack of awareness um, when inner when some of these inner defects of character appear we think that there's something wrong with us we become embarrassed by it we don't talk about it we don't realize it we don't entertain it so the goal of the book is to live with that awareness and to real and to, to transform, to transform all of those inner barriers and to realize that this is, we are programmed by, by it. We're, we're very specific. We're programmed in a way that we are meant to accomplish our mission. And therefore, as we go through life, as all of these things come up, to realize it, to acknowledge it, and to transform it, to elevate it, like I say in the book, to rule over it, which means you recognize it, you understand it, okay? now I understand it a little bit more. Now I want to learn about how to properly use it and then rule R-U-L-E. And then I want to elevate it. I want to use it as, as my friend. And we discussed so many you things. You have
0: the acronym that R-U-L-E. There's so much wisdom in this book. I want to be like really, I want to be really practical about this. What you just said is so powerful. You are talking about how success is an inside job. Okay. And you also said that the goal of our lives is to to get to that like final moment, that success, it's to complete our mission. But what would happen? I I think about death a lot. For some reason, I I think about it all the time. And I think it's a really powerful thing to think about because it, it confronts us with what are we doing? The big question, like, what am I really doing? Did today matter? Did I live my best day? And I had this moment of listening to what you just shared and thinking about that thought that what if at any moment I paused and I thought to myself totally hypothetically, because I'm also going to live to be 120, God willing, this is going to be the last time I, I leave my house. Like this is it for me. And I just pause and I think about myself as a success. What if I'm complete right now? What would that mean? And I think that's like a totally different paradigm. Listen, I I think there's always room to grow. But the second piece about what you said, this feeling that there's something wrong with us or that we have something to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. What if we just took that moment to do both of those things at once? It's so powerful.
1: Yeah, indeed. And I think that some of the things that we speak about in the book is um we, we talk about the elements an earth element is one that tries to weigh you down and and you tell you that you're not good enough and and get you stuck and you're you're stuck on the couch because you're feeling the heaviness of earth <clears throat> and uh and it's in those moments to realize okay you know what there's nothing wrong with me this is the earth element just giving it that name because it's like fear fear says you know what don't go repe- don't go on this zipline because you're gonna die that's what fear says and oh you know, and i remember this story because this happened to me and i'm waiting on this you know, to do it was like a zipline or something like that and like there's this voice in my head that said oh my gosh i'm gonna die i'm gonna die i'm gonna die and then you recognize you're like one second i'm not gonna die i have a voice in my head telling me i'm gonna die and that's creating that's messing me up and then the second that you You realize that I'm probably not going to die. It's just a voice in my head. Now, suddenly you've gained control because you've called it out for what it is. So I can't get up in the morning because I'm so sad. Wow, I'm feeling a lot of earth element right now. Oh, the idea of water element, which is insatiability, but it's also love and it's also passion. And to be able to take those things that, you know, might form a person that might grab a person and turn them into, addicts, and to say, actually, that's actually a superpower of mine. Because I actually have this insatiable desire to connect in the deepest way. And maybe if I'm not connecting in the deepest way, maybe I'll feel empty. And that'll make me turn to something that might be unhealthy. But one second, unhealthy, that's only the way it's manifesting right now. But don't I realize that there's something that's so rich behind that. And it's like that with all of these different parts of our life, that it's it's
0: fascinating, yeah, it's fascinating. You're seeing so much. It's like on one hand, this idea of looking at our experiences through the lens of these elements very much normalizes all of these experiences we go through as very human experiences. And then, in terms of this water element and this idea of connection and addiction, I'm curious if you could speak to this a little more. I know you have background in addiction. So I'm curious to hear from you like about this relationship and and also how have you used this work in your professional capacity with addiction?
1: Sure. Sure. And I think that's, it's probably this Uh, And and the last two things that I mentioned, both as far as earth and water element, that really, I think, pushed me to write the second book, even though it's not most of the second book, it's parts of the second book. But I think this for me was something that I really, really wanted to speak a little bit more about. And again, um, it's, I think, especially with lots of the people that I coach and teach, especially within the Jewish community, any religious community, the Orthodox community, where there is so much shame around these things. it might be shame with everyone, but certainly more within our community. And uh, again, the first step in any is the ability to be able to look in the mirror and for a person to be able to understand that that we are deep, beautiful, wonderful people that want the best and that are searching for good. And what Mm -hmm. behavior we might be latching on to. I,
0: I have to repeat this. Deep, beautiful people who want the best, who are searching for good. What if you just said that to yourself every morning in front of the mirror, everyone listening? I'm a deep, beautiful person searching for good and seeking to do good.
1: Yeah. And uh,
0: so powerful.
1: And the reality is that the deeper we are, the deeper we are, the more that we feel the heaviness of life, the more that we're sometimes super sensitive, which has to do with the previous conversation that you and I had together. And all sorts of, there's, there's when you're a deep pit, it takes a to fill, to fill you up. And often when life is not delivering uh, in the deepest possible way, when your connections are not as rich as it should be, you might be dying inside. And therefore, you might need to grab on to whatever the life boat, the raft is that's going to save you. And there are certain things that that are might not be the healthiest, but at least for a moment, it gives us somewhat a sense. It gives us somewhat of the experience, uh, again, in not a real way, not an authentic way, but one that we need right now that at least for a moment can either distract us or you know, can fill us up. At least at the moment, so we don't die inside. Inside I'm saying inside and it could be even worse. So often the addiction wow. was just the addict was just grabbing on to, to what they needed because they are so incredibly deep and they are so sensitive. So obviously it's not healthy and it can kill you, but it also tells you how deep you actually are. Because so if, interesting,
0: like to look at you're someone's like reaching for something, anything in life that's a, a vice even as an effort to meet an unmet need.
1: Yeah. And even in religion, even I'll take my coaching hat and put on my rabbi hat when people come to me and they say, you know what, you know, this, whole you know, this Jewish life is not working for me. And I'm like, that is great. That is great. It is so great that you are not complacent because God is so deep and who at any point in life can say, you know what? I'm good. My relationship with God is great. Oh, I totally understand God. That is a very superficial way to see things. And it's the moment that you feel that your spiritual practice is not enough That's the moment that your soul is calling for more And that's when you're going to start looking And yes, it's scary to look Because once you start looking Suddenly lots of different things look attractive And it takes a while for you to sort out What it is that you're looking for And yes, in that journey You're going to find yourself in very unusual Sometimes dark places But again, that's all part of the search
0: Wow Where well, there's a lot there so we went through two of the elements. Do you want to talk about the other two?
1: Sure. So we discussed uh, earth and water. The wind element actually has to do with the last piece that I just mentioned. And the wind element is the intellect and it's that search. Uh, it, wind can scatter you, but wind is also about taking, lo- looking from above and being able to see many different things and to move from place to place. So in the journey of element the wind element is about curiosity it's about creativity it's about perspective and it's about understanding because it corresponds to the intellect and because of that also like i said the wind element can take a person on a wild goose chase a wind element can have a person finding that they're entertaining all sorts of false perspectives but the wind element is also one that's going to lead a person push a person forward push them it's it depends is the wind blowing at you and holding you back or is the wind pushing you forward and you just want to make sure that you're on the right side of the wind you know, when you're doing it
0: so that's like curiosity inspiration
1: exactly all
0: of those feelings
1: exactly exactly. which also like the first two there's a turmoil within that and then the last element which is the fire element so fire is the fire within the four elements is the one that's It has the least mass. It's kind of on the top. Fire rises to the top. And because of that, fire is our search to really understand ourselves, to really express, to really know who we are in this world. Fire is therefore the ego. And the ego can express itself as a bad ego or arrogance. And that, when fire expresses itself that way, it's because in order to try to establish my place, I might destroy other people or I might define myself by very physical things, by my house, by my toys, by my money, by my, the brand names that I wear, um, in which case that is an unhealthy fire because then I'm burning everybody else up so I could establish myself by metrics that don't really speak to the core of my soul but on the positive fire is what keeps me yearning it's my passion it's what keeps me what what keeps me yearning to really feel that i've discovered myself and it and it allows me also to expand and whereas an unhealthy ego is me versus everybody else a healthy ego is me including everybody else in that not seeing a difference between you and me but seeing others as a part of me, a oneness within the world, a oneness within humanity, and ultimately a connection to the divine.
0: I love that. It's so beautiful. I'm just going to pause and share with everyone that we had a phenomenal conversation on Rabbi Shlomo's podcast. Again, I'm going to share a link to that. It was about mental health, and Rabbi Shlomo mentioned the stigmas that go on oftentimes in in the Jewish world, and I think it's such an important conversation. But Back to this topic, I'm curious to hear from you, like you mentioned in terms of fire, this drive for money and brands, and yet this drive for fire is also like passion. Would you say, for example, that someone who feels a lot of like pressure to say, make a lot of money for whatever reason, I know in many communities, um, there's a lot of pressure to be able to send your kids to the right schools or to buy a house in the right neighborhood or whatever it is. It's all outer like external stuff. But would you say that there's any like tie between wanting or needing those things? And then also like seeking meaning and passion, like, or are they, are they related, unrelated? How does that work?
1: I think we we all, we want to matter. We want to matter. We want to know that this life, we are worth something. We're worth something to ourselves. We're worth something to other people. So, um, obviously, you know, there there is a certain there is obviously a certain allure. Listen, it's obviously beautiful to go home to a beautiful house, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is a wonderful thing. Um, it's nice to be able to. Travel the world, and you want to take beautiful. You want to have the means to be able to take beautiful vacations and to see the world. Freedom, want, right? Yeah, Freedom. exactly. You want to have the means to be able to work less and spend more time doing the things that you want to be doing. So there is something that is very beautiful about. We are here to be motivated, and we don't want to be complacent. Um, it's what when it becomes unhealthy is when that's not what it's about when it's about um when it's about that's how i define myself when i walk into a room and i feel that i need to prove myself by the amount of money that i make by the brands that i'm wearing by how big my house is or how beautiful my wife is or things like that that is when we speak about un- unhealthy fire and uh, yes positive fire it's it can't part of it is expressing itself by being motivated and everyone is going to be motivated for the things that speak to their soul for some their motivation might be to cure cancer for others it might be to have to be able to travel the world that just might have to do with what your soul's about Um, but as long as you're not it's not there to define you but it's there because you under because you're using it as a way to reach what you feel that your purpose is. That's what's called a healthy fire. And spirituality oh, so is going to become part of that as well.
0: I love that. I love that. It's so interesting. It's like what you said earlier about how we're not working on our character traits in order to like go to work and be a better person. We're at work, and that is refining our character traits, right? Everything in the physical world is is refining our character traits. So is our quest for curing cancer or freedom and more money or whatever it is, is that refining our soul? It's such That's a, a
1: great way to look, look at it. Exactly. That is exactly. Such a
0: deep way to look at it. I love that. I would love to wrap this up and ask you. It's been such a great conversation. I'm sure we could do like 10 more podcast episodes. But for now, I'd love to hear from you what inspires you, Rabbi Buckman? You've written about these deep topics: freedom and empowerment and enlightenment. And I would love to hear from you. Like, how do you stay inspired?
1: Sure. So uh, I think that, uh, as we've discussed in this podcast, you know, any time that you are, you know, I, I, I try to be a searcher and I try to you know, I, to remind myself. But I don't really have to remind myself because I feel it inside that that this whole thing is a big adventure and I want to know where this whole road goes. I want to know for me, you know, I, I, I'm a rabbi. It's great to be a rabbi. It looks good in front of my name, but you know, I still feel that I'm on a quest. I'm on a quest to be my best self. I have a beautiful family. I have six children and I want wow. to be a great dad. I want to to learn what they're all about and I want to be able to guide them properly um, I wear a lot of different hats, and life is a is a juggling act. So that certainly you know, keeps me on my toes. And um, and I think it's it for me. I'm I'm always asking myself what's going to be. What is what does God want from me now? What's the next step in my journey? What's the next step in my purpose? And and I think when you're open to that, different things come your way. And I think that there are things that are unpredictable in my life that suddenly. To light my fire just because I'm open to it and, and, and I'm searching and I'm looking for it.
0: Being open and you're so down to earth. It's really, really refreshing and there's so much wisdom here and so much practical goodness that we can implement. So I would love for everyone to join me in enjoying your books. Where Thank can you. we find your books? Where can we find your work and your coaching and everything else that you're doing?
1: Sure. My website is rabbishlomo.com, and um, I'm on all the social medias, Instagram and Facebook, and I probably spend too much time there, but it is a nice way to connect with people and see new people and what they're doing. Uh, my book is available on Amazon. It's uh, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life is the first one. The Four Elements of Inner Freedom is the second one. I have a great publisher, Mosaica Press, and the book is on their website also, and. That's And my podcast, which you said you'll put in the show notes, is Empowered Jewish Living.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It has been such an honor having you here. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Dr. Ozzie. This really was a pleasure. And best of luck in everything that you're doing. Thank you for the special opportunity. And thank you to all of your listeners for, for sticking around and listening. And I hope that this was helpful.
0: Amazing. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I want to remind you to get in on Jewish women in business, everything we have coming up, as well as to connect with me around how I can help you with marketing, with business, all the things in terms of implementation, video creation, and taking your business to the next level. Visit my website drazi.co, that's D-R-A-Z-I.co, and stay tuned, there's a lot happening in the mental health sphere, I have been sharing a lot on social, connect with me there, again in the show notes, and I'm speaking around the topic, it is so important, and I really believe that to live a life inspired by purpose, we need to address all parts of ourselves, both in business and personally, and mental health is a huge piece of that, so again, visit my website, stay tuned, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show today. Thank you for being here. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe because there's so much more in store. If you'd like to share the gift of being inspired by purpose, you can send a link over to a friend, drauzzie.co backslash inspired so that they can benefit also. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening you are welcome to send us over a screenshot of the review to service at drazzy.co because I'm going to be sharing some of these reviews in forthcoming episodes. Thank you so much for being inspired by purpose, for being with me here on the podcast today, and I will see you next week.